Hi, I'm Marilyn Gaffney from On the Spot Dog Training, and you're listening to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. During my podcast, we've talked about the power of the human-animal connection. When I used to show my dogs in competition, I was amazed at how many young people were also running their dogs. In fact, they were often difficult to beat in competition. They had perseverance, self-confidence, and a special bond with the dogs they trained, then showed in competition. I'll be featuring a series of interviews where I focus on today's young adults, talking with a variety of participants in animal-related activities, and a mentor to many other young adults who continue to make the impact that will make the difference in the sport in the future. Speaking of young adults, today we're talking to Ella Palutis, who will be sharing how her work with animals began and how it has impacted her life. Ella, Welcome to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to to hear more about your story. The first question I have is, first of all, I don't normally ask people their age, but would you mind sharing how old you are since it is really impressive how much you've accomplished as a young adult? Yeah, I just turned 17 last month. 17, okay, awesome. Have you always had animals at home? Yes, I grew up in a very animal-heavy house. I come from a horseback riding family, so I've grown up with horses, dogs, cats. I've had guinea pigs, fish. I've always just had animals in my life. Did you have a favorite? My favorites are always the dogs. Okay. All right. Well, I had a lot of guinea pigs when I was growing up, too, and I had fish as well. So, But I have to say I prefer my dogs. Yeah. You've been involved in 4-H, right? Yeah. Could you tell me what 4-H is and what you've done within that program? 4-H is basically this organization that aims to teach young kids leadership, and it's really rural-focused, actually. So a lot of it is on livestock and, think, shooting sports. It's very country-based, so a lot of kids who grow up on farms are part of 4-H. And I did archery through it, but really I just explored dog training through it mainly. So they have a variety of different activities. We're looking at it right now, and there's so many things that you can become involved in as part of 4-H. I had no idea. Yeah, they have all these programs. There's ones for, like, everything. They've got, like, cake decorating, photography. Like, there's so many programs that just aim to get kids into different sports and activities. I wonder why this is not well-known. It's mainly just because of how... The main purpose of it is livestock, so really only kids in the country know about it. They don't make any kind of attempt to go to, like, suburban areas, which is a shame because I feel like a lot of kids would like some of the activities that are offered. Of course. This looks awesome. So you started out in archery. What 
made you decide to then move over to animals? I guess it just sounded a lot more fun, honestly. I had this dog, this corgi named Lucy, who is 13 years old now, and I started with her just because I liked hanging out with her so much. And we got in connection with the local dog training because I was too scared to go to classes with adults. So they mm-hmm. found the dog training through 4-H, and I started going with that. And that was so much better than archery, in my opinion. So eventually I dropped that and just started focusing on dog training. Okay, I think I would choose that, too, to be honest with you. I've tried mm-hmm. archery, and that's pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, dog training is really tough, too, but, you know, I kind of like doing activities with my dogs. Mm-hmm. Ella, you are also, or you have been, the president of Robing Rovers. What is that? What do you do in that role? Each 4-H county will have, like, multiple clubs within it for different kids to join. And Roving Rovers is a club that was founded specifically for dog training because what we found is a lot of kids had schedule conflicts where they couldn't make the 4-H meetings because you have to have a monthly 4-H meeting to be a club, and it would conflict with other, like, extracurriculars through school. And so Roving Rovers, we would hold our meetings on the same night as dog training, Mm -hmm. so that way more kids could be involved in dog training without having conflicts. Okay. And as president, I just run the meetings and help out with instructing. That's awesome. So in the midst of the COVID epidemic, how are you, are you doing online meetings? We are having online weekly dog meetings, actually. We have a website set up that allows kids to post videos of their dog training. And I've been putting out instructional videos as the president and demonstrations. So kids are continuing to dog train through this. Oh, that's awesome. So that's a way to stay connected. And would you like us to put a link in the show notes so people can access that for more information? Yeah, it's my4hproject.com. Okay. And I believe there is an there is a dash in the 4-H. Okay. We'll look that up and make sure it gets posted to the show notes. Ella, you have been really involved in 4-H. How did you transfer those skills to actually wanting to do competition with your dogs? In 4-H with dog training, you kind of do a variety of things. And there was this instructor who came in to teach agility. And she also happened to be a competitive agility instructor. And Mm -hmm. she would just come in and, you know, teach us the basics. And I really started to like agility. And my dog had some potential at it. So I actually connected with the dog trainer and started taking regular classes with her. And that's when I was introduced to competitive dog sports. Isn't it funny how you get the agility bug like right away? Yeah. (laughs) We had been doing obedience. So then as soon as this agility instructor came in, it was like, oh, well, that's obviously much more fun. Yeah. And the dogs just light up. Mm -hmm. You've been doing competitions with your dogs. Which dog did you start out with? I started off with my Corgi Lucy. She started training late. I didn't even start training her until she was five years old. And so by the time she started showing, she was eight. So she actually started off pretty late in her career. But Hmm. she went all the way to the highest level of agility before she retired. So she got her work in. That brings up another question is some of our audience may not know what the highest level of agility is. Could you explain that? Agility competitions are divided into different levels. So they go novice, open, excellent, masters. And they're different classes, and as you progress through up them, they get more difficult in terms of the course. And you start off at novice, and then once you qualify three times in that, you go up to open, you qualify three times in that, you go up to excellent, you qualify three times again in that, and then you're up to masters. Mm -hmm. And masters is the highest level you compete at. 
And for masters, how many times do you have to qualify? If you want to get your title, you have to qualify 10 times. Mm-hmm. So things are getting a lot trickier once you reach that level. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other titles that ever since I stopped competing in agility, I think they've added on some some titles in the, the meantime. So you can stay in agility and do all kinds of things, even the preferred class, if you don't want to jump your dog full height. Right. There are all kinds of new agility classes. There's preferred where you jump your dog four inches lower than they would usually jump. And then they've put all these other classes. There's Premier, which is even harder than Masters. So it's kind of crazy to try to show Oh, my it. goodness. And there's like Time to Beat, which is all about getting the fastest time and earning points based on your time. And there's Fast where you get to make up your own course and earn points based on how many obstacles you do. They're constantly adding new stuff and new rules. It's kind of fun, though. It keeps people interested. Yeah. I have never earned an agility uh, championship. I've earned a AX, AXJ, MX, MXJ, but never went as far as a, a mock in agility. So my question is, what did it feel like when you had that last qualifying run and you got to grab the bar and run with your dog around the entire agility field. What was that like? Well, it's like the best feeling ever, especially on my border colleague who took forever because she's crazy fast, but also not the most accurate when you get that kind of speed. <laughs> but it just it didn't feel real for a second. I'm like, wait, we qualified, right? <laughs> and then we ended up getting our mock on the very last, day of the last trial before everything shut down. We got it in March. Oh, my gosh. I'm very glad we did get it at that point, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. That was your last opportunity. That was your last opportunity. Well, I can only imagine, because I know when my dog got um, an MXJ, what it felt like. Now, I didn't get to grab a bar and run around the ring, but uh, still, I had that look of disbelief, uh, that feeling of, did we really get that? And the judge nodded her head and scorekeeper did the same thing. And that in itself is a huge feeling. It's a great feeling. What are you doing now with your dogs, Ella? Now we are just mainly doing agility. I have my Aussie is doing a bit of everything, really. I put some dog titles on her recently. She's got rally titles. We haven't showed obedience in a while. Some titles in that. So we've just been kind of training mainly for agility and also working with great videos. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the titles that your dogs have, and we'll put these in the show notes as well. What is a BN title? BN is beginner novice. So that is a new class that was put into obedience. It is the very entry level. It is even easier than novice. So that's okay. like the very introductory obedience title. Then what about RM? RM is for rally, for rally master. So that is the highest level of rally that she has earned her title, and it's pretty similar to agility. You need 10, you have to qualify 10 times to get your rally master. Okay. And RAE? RAE is another rally title. So there are quite a few rally levels. There's novice, intermediate, advanced, excellent master, and... Master, excellent, advanced are the ones that you have to qualify and turn your championship. If you qualify 10 times in both excellent and advanced at the same trial, that's when you get your RAE. So it's kind of a big title as you work towards your mm-hmm. championship. Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy rally? 
Yeah, Rally's, Rally's fun. Um, you get to talk to your dog, so the dogs tend to like it a lot more than obedience. My dog still loves agility much more. She says she wish she could be doing that instead, but <laughs> it's fun, and it's good to get ring experience with your dog. So I have kind of a funny story. Uh, I went from showing my dog in agility, and then I learned about Rally because it had just started, and I tried to do the cones like the weave poles in agility. And one of my friends really laughed at me outside of the ring. She said, oh, my gosh, Allison, you uh, did agility inside the rally ring. Um, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. But he passed, so I guess that's all that counts. But anyway, I got a little confused and started doing the wrong sport in different ring. <laughs> so I know what CGC means, canine good citizenship. What about TKI? The TK titles are trick dogs titles. Got it. So her TKI is her trick dog intermediate, which is earned by performing 10 tricks off a list. Some of those tricks, she jumps over my leg, she weaves between my legs, she can go hit buttons to turn them on, she can she can wave. It's a bunch of like, there's a long list you can choose from in order to get your trick dog titles. Well, that's fun. So do they have the trick dog classes at obedience trials? Sometimes, yes, there have been ones where they will hold trick dog titling. Sometimes they're independent events, usually held with a CGC test. Right now, actually, because of not being able to go to dog shows very much, you can actually do it online where you could submit videos, which is how she got her intermediate title, which is really nice because you can do that whenever you can do it for any level. So I, I am also understanding that you ranked number four obedience junior handler by the American Kennel Club? Yes. So Congratulations. I didn't realize I ranked number four. It was a bit of a surprise when AKC holds a juniors classic, which is this big event that's held in December, and they have all these junior handlers come in and show and kind of like compete against each other. And it's a really cool event. It was my first time going and they also present awards for the top junior handlers in rally and obedience. And I didn't even know that I was going to be receiving a fourth obedience award, but I did for the 2019 year. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, when you're competing with your dog as a junior handler, you also compete with all the other adults, different ages in the ring. So you're in the same ring with everybody else who may have a lot of experience and because judging is also based on handling, I bet that would be a challenge. Was that hard it to do? At first, because you feel like you're against these people with all of these more experience. And there's definitely some obedience where I haven't, you know, it's my first time showing all of it. So I'm a little like, well, what's coming next? I don't know the typical pattern of showing. But once you get used to it, you find that you're just as capable as all the adults <laughs> when it comes to the handling stuff. It's just a matter of getting used to it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really make a difference. Your age, everyone's got to get used to it eventually. Oh, that's a really good way to look at it. When you're running in agility, I remember when I ran in agility, I always thought, oh, my gosh, now there's a junior handler coming in, and they run faster than me. So I was intimidated by the juniors that I had to show against because I knew you were going to outrun me. That's still pretty true to today. There are a lot of adult handlers who recognize that those junior handlers are going to be the ones that are placing in the classes because mm-hmm. it's like to say that we have nice, long, young legs that can get around <laughs> the course easy. 
well, that may be true, but also you have that plus you have a border collie. Yes, that helps a lot. (laughs) She is an insane border collie at that. She is just so fast. There are a lot of border collies that show around here, and even then she frequently places in the top four in our classes if she can qualify. So, Ella, I ran with a female golden retriever, and actually a male golden retriever, too, and the female was in the same class, height class, as a lot of the Border Collies. And the minute the Border Collies went in, I thought, shoot, <laughs> now I've got to try to run my my female golden in the same height class, which was 20-inch. I don't know what height class. Are you in 20 or 24? I show both my dogs in 20-inch. 20 20-inch? 20 okay, Yeah. So that was pretty common. Now, what about your corgi? My corgi, since she was older, I ran her in preferred. So she jumped four inches. Okay. And we were often the only dog jumping preferred four inches. So okay. we actually did win quite a bit being the only dog in the class. Right. Nice, but right. But now we aren't so lucky in the 20-inch division. Ooh, the 20 inches is a really tough class. Yeah, my Australian Shepherd, she, no matter how fast she runs, she is not having any chance of placing in the mm-hmm. edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty common. But then, you know, it's okay. You you do it for the fun anyway and for the right. qualifying scores. Yeah, she doesn't need to play. She gets good scores all by herself. Right, right, good. So are you glad that you moved into the competition world? Yes, I am very glad I moved into the competition world. Because I used to show horses. I used to do competitive horseback riding. Oh, cool. I did it when I was young, and I was never that big of a fan of it. I was kind of worried that competitive dog sports would be kind of the same thing, where it's not as fun as I thought it would be, but it's so much more fun than horseback riding. The Mm -hmm. community's so great. Everyone's so supportive. And you just have such a good time with everybody. You get to know everybody. So do you still ride? Not very often, actually. I used to take more frequent horseback riding lessons, and I would take them on the weekends, but then weekends started being dog shows, and I kind of decided that I liked working with dogs better than horses, Okay. and I just started riding less and less. But I still have the horses, and I still say hi to them, and yeah, I still like having them. Well, it's probably easier to pack up your dogs in your, in your car instead of the horse trailer, right? Yeah, a lot of people who show dogs used to show horses, and they switch because it is cheaper, <laughs> yeah. easier, you know, it's a lot less of a hassle. That's right. It's a lot different, because people might think that working with animals is all the same, but it really is quite different. Well, I, I went to somebody's house and tried to move their horse by just asking them. It, it was an equine experience where the whole goal was to not touch them and get them to move. I couldn't do it. Well, actually, I did, but it took a lot of coaching to get me to move this horse across the round bend. And it's a whole other way of uh, training an animal is to work with horses. But I have to tell you, too, that working with dogs takes a special talent as well, because even though you're doing something fun and agility, it's easy to have it become more of a chore, especially if you really want to win and sometimes it's it's hard to lose sight of what the goal is, is to really have a fun time with your dog. Yeah, there are definitely people, once you get to those higher levels of the competition, that are so focused on getting their dog perfect and making it to those big national competitions. But 
a lot of people do recognize at the end of the day, you're having fun with your dog. So those hyper-competitive people are definitely in the minority. Most people can mm-hmm. eventually recognize that the dog is trying to have fun with you. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I had to think about when I was running my dogs in agility is, are they still having fun? I was having a good time, but I had to constantly check in with my dog, not really constantly, but every once in a while to make sure I wasn't doing it for me and that my dog was still having a good time. Now, I had a dog that had an agility injury, and it took us out of competition, I'm trying to think, about a year and a half And so that was really hard to all of a sudden stop agility and then do rehab and go back. But I'm wondering if you're paying attention and if that's something you even think about with with your dogs. Yeah, my Australian Shepherd more so than the Border Collie. I really have to make sure that she is still confident in herself because as outgoing and, you know, adventurous of a dog she is, she does tend to get confidence issues where if something doing something wrong she might go oh this isn't fun anymore so I really have to make sure that I'm not pushing her too hard or she might go oh this is hard I don't want to be wrong Mm -hmm. and not every dog is going to be like this she's a lot more of a thinker and really wants to please me above all more than other dogs but you also have to be aware of like burnout because if you start practicing these dogs several times a week they might think this isn't so novel and fun and Mm -hmm. it's really specific to the dog you know some dogs can only run every other week, but some dogs want to run four times a week. It's so specific, and it just requires you to have a connection with your dog, Mm -hmm. to know them well enough, to know their limits. So with your Border Collie especially, how do you live with her at home when you're not doing agility? Do you have to keep her entertained? She actually does not live with me. She lives with the agility instructor that I train under. I started running her because she was so crazy she needed a fast handler to keep up with her so I started running her she doesn't live with me per se I just show her and train her okay but she lives with a bunch of other border collies so they keep each other entertained there you go there you go I just had a picture of you in high school trying to study with this border collie saying mom I want to go out and play <laughs> that would have been kind that of tough. Is the, yeah. The Australian <laughs> Shepherd is a little like that too. You know, I got to be careful if I'm trying to read, you know, a textbook or something. All of a sudden there's her nose peeping over or wanting to go do something. <laughs> so, do you have any other family members that are involved in agility, obedience, or any events with your dogs? Yeah. My grandmother actually, she shows obedience and rally, and she shows Shelties and my mom has trained dogs for competitive but she's never shown as much as me or my grandma has. That's awesome so it runs in the family. Yeah it tends to sometimes you get these a lot of junior handlers they do come from dog training families. Well and also I just noticed the Shelties the Australian Shepherds and the Corgis and the Border Collie they're all herding dogs. That runs in the family too apparently. Herding dogs are very popular, especially in competitive (laughs) dog sports. And uh, my family just always had herding dogs, especially living kind of on a farm setting. Mm -hmm. They're just good energy levels, intelligent, respond well to body movements. They're Mm -hmm. really nice to train. I've always had Shelties, so I know that they can be very easy to train, but also hard to train at the same time. It depends on, uh, sometimes they're, they're too smart for me and I have to work on 
untraining the things that I've taught them incorrectly. So it can be kind of a challenge. Do you find that with your dogs too, Ella? Yeah. It is sometimes more the dog who is, you know, figuring it out before I do because she's so smart and to anticipate things. You know, if I do things two times in a row, you bet she knows what we're doing that third time. Mm-hmm. So it can be difficult. You know, if I try to switch something up on her, she goes, no, we did it this way last time. I remember doing it this way. Uh-huh. She wants to do it the way that we did before. So you almost have to think in dog rather than, you know, yeah. human. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain obstacle that you had difficulty with? Like mine was always the teeter. My dog always wanted to jump off the end of the teeter-totter. Yes. The teeter was a nightmare for us. Because my Australian shepherd despises the teeter. She mm. still does. Mm-hmm. And she would just get to the tipping point and just bail on it. I can't do anything in the competitive ring to fix that. Because agility is divided into you know, standard and jumpers. And jumpers is just jump tunnels weave, so there's no teeter. And we started leveling through that. And we were still at the very beginning level of standard because she would not do that teeter. And eventually she just said okay fine and she still hates it she still gives me a look every time we have to do it but she's gotten through it thankfully I had to borrow somebody's teeter from my backyard and had to work and work and work to get my golden retriever to finally get that to the tipping point and slowly go down to the yellow zone because she kept wanting to jump off and then she got scared so that took us out of competition for quite some time until we worked that worked that out wow 4-h What an incredible organization. And Ella, you're an excellent ambassador for the program. Thank you. It's time to take a break during the Animal Academy podcast. We'll be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with The Editor Corps. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Corps. EditorCorps.com. That's EditorCorps.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so... Consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at animalacademypodcast.com and let's have a conversation. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing the Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back to the Animal Academy podcast. Youth today have lots of choices of things to do with their time, but tonight we're talking with Ella Palutis, who's the 4-H Club Roving Rovers president and also has advanced titles in several of her dogs. And I'm excited to have this conversation with Ella. 
Welcome back, Ella. Hi. So we were just talking about some of the performance events and your family, you know, also being active in the performance events. Do you all travel together? We do not travel very often. I have gone up with my grandparents because my grandma lives in Iowa. So I have gone to Iowa. She's come down here to show. But there's so many shows in St. Louis. St. Louis is actually kind of like this hot spot for dog training Mm -hmm. where a lot of people come here. So the people here don't have to go anywhere. There's so many dog shows. Mm -hmm. What are you doing with COVID? Have you been running any trials? Yes. Trials recently started back up. So actually this weekend I was at my second dog show back. So there's a lot of changes. You have to wear masks the whole time. You got to space out your crating. Um, The classes are a little more restricted on their entries, but people are really making an effort trying to get back into the show ring. Is that really hard to run with a mask on? Well, running with the mask itself isn't hard. It's when you stop running that it all hits you. Mm. I've been fine. I've been practicing in a mask, so at this point I don't notice it. But a lot of people, they have a hard time after they run catching their breath. But when you run, the dogs don't seem to care too much. So it doesn't make that much of a difference during the actual run. Herding dogs are so cognizant of any changes in in you, right? I remember my Sheltie staring at me if I was wearing something different or if I wore a hat or something. Did you have to train your dogs to know what you look like with a mask on? Uh, mine were both pretty good. They were like, oh, you're wearing a mask. I don't really <laughs> care. Some people have had to, like, work with their dog, but most dogs are getting over it pretty fast. The big difference is a lot of dogs, they try to give you kisses, and they don't know what to do with a mask on. So it's always funny trying to watch them trying to figure that out. Never even thought about that. So when you go to an agility trial because of the pandemic and social distancing, can several people be in line, or how, do you, how does that work? Yeah, so there's a lot more of a system to it. So the trials I've been at, they take duct tape on the ground. And they make these kind of squares for people to stand in. So you have the handler who's ready to go in, and then you have three handlers who are all spaced six feet apart in their squares waiting. And it's a lot more like people who aren't right up, they can't stand there. Mm -hmm. Because before, a lot of people would just like hang by the ring and wait for their turn. But now you have to actually wait, wait for your turn to get in line. Mm, Okay. Okay. You know, we all have to make adjustments in this day and age of of COVID. So I guess that's better than not being able to compete at all, right? Yeah. Ella, tell me a little bit about what it's like to be in high school and also do dog training. Is that hard to stay focused on high school? I don't find it too difficult on like the day-to-day basis because it's really no different than doing like being on a sports team. It's really just another extracurricular. It's doing dog shows that get to be a bit of an issue because so many of them are Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm in school on Friday, so I can't Mm. show on Fridays, and I can rarely travel. I can't really travel to do dog shows because I have to be in school. There are a couple times where there were big competitions that I was allowed to take off school for to go to, but not every junior handler will be allowed to take off school like I was. Mm -hmm. That would be hard. What do the other kids in, in school think about you training dogs? I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. A lot of people, they don't know much about it. They hear I train dogs. And I'm like, oh, cool. Because it, a lot of people don't really know about competitive dog sports. When they hear dog showing, they think confirmation. They think having the dogs trot around the ring. 
that's what they see. You know, not a lot of, some people are aware of agility, but not that many. So I don't usually typically try to explain it. I just say dog showing and mm-hmm. let them assume confirmation. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be a good way to get more young people involved in, in just training their dogs, even if it's just for fun? They don't have to do competition. Well, because I'm the 4-H program I'm in, it's fine. You know, it gets the kids started on the basics, but it never really shows them some kind of goal, you know, some kind of end product to work towards. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids, they go into it and it's either a lot harder than they expected or it doesn't move as fast as they expected because there's not really classes that are geared specifically towards kids. So I think if more kids were aware of, like, what you could actually do with your dog, you know, they teach the sit, the down, the come, and they're like, okay, I've trained the dog. But there's so much more you can do, and people just aren't aware of it. You know, AKC doesn't they do some work to try to teach the general public about dog sports, but I think there should just be a lot more specifically aimed at kids. I did a past podcast with a friend, Ginger Kenyon, and she was a sixth-grade teacher. And she has a whole energy about her when she's working with kids that draws them to wanting to be active with their their animals. And I think that that's really necessary in dog training facilities to really have people that are in tune with kids because, and I'm sorry to group you in with a kid title, you know, because you're not, you're you're a young adult, so I apologize for that. But... I think you know what I mean is is you've got to make it exciting in order to draw kids in and make them want to continue to work with their, their pets. Right. Yeah, because a lot of it takes a special kind of instructor to work with a kid in a way that actually gets them excited mm-hmm. because the adults that are typically in the dog training, they're like a bit more already educated and with the kids you really have to lay down like all the basics about all the timing and teaching them all these new skills that they didn't have that an adult might already have. Mm -hmm. And you're at a whole other developmental stage that adults have already kind of moved through. So they're at a, a different stage in their life where I think working with kids, there's this great, you know, new energy that, you know, the connection that they have with their animal is very, very different yeah, there's definitely a big difference between when I work with a kid and their dog and when, say, an adult instructor works with a kid and their dog. I think the kids are just a lot more receptive to someone younger and closer to their age, mm-hmm. but they don't typically get to work with someone who's younger and closer to their age. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Ella, I've had such a good time talking to you today, and I've learned so much about the 4-H Club and all of the awesome things that you've done with your dogs. You should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. And I wish you all the luck in the future, and hopefully you can come back and talk to us again and let us know all of the good things that you've done in college and in your goals of being a teacher and a mentor to young people. Yeah, that would be fun. Terrific. Thanks so much, Ella. Thank you. You can look at a variety of today's youth, In television, movies, streaming media, the schools around you, so many different places. What is often missing is the electricity and excitement to do things. What's even more rare is the desire to teach how to teach other people to do things, especially when they themselves are young. Ella showcases a sample that isn't one to just marvel at, but one that should be recognized, 
replicated, and used to propel the future of animal-related activities. Her ambition to foster the learning of other young adults with 4-H promotes an ongoing love of animals by creating lasting memories that will endure. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy podcast.